0: All right, so we have come to the end of uh, John chapter 16. It's, it's almost been like a book within a book, this, this upper room discourse. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples. I, I hope that I have convinced you that John 14 through 16 are worth putting into your spiritual toolbox. And, and let, me, let me tell you what I mean by that. What do I mean by spiritual toolbox. I, all scriptures are profitable. All scriptures are inspired. We're thankful that God has given the, the, the breadth of God's Word, but there are no doubt, there's no doubt that there are some places in the scripture that are especially valuable, that are especially helpful for our hearts in times of trouble, and I, I think John 14 through 16 Uh, would be one of those places. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 119 talks about hiding God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. I think John 14 through 16 would be a great place to memorize Scripture because I do believe they would be especially helpful for you when troubles come. And I I hope, too, that this is a section of Scripture that you will want to investigate more. I will tell you, in my study of these things over the last few months, I have found that there have been many places where there are things that didn't mean what I thought they meant. And in so many ways, what what they did mean was was so much richer uh, than I expected it to be. I, I would one more time Remind you of Peter's words in Second Peter chapter one, verse three, Peter says he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having established having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And, and I believe that that these are a great example of those precious and very great promises. So if you want to know more about the precious and very great promises that Jesus has given us, I think John 14 through 16 would be a great place to start. We're going to talk about a sustained effort to thinking about things today as opposed to that which is temporary. Uh, I'm not talking about monastic meditation. I'm not talking about going holing up in a mountain retreat and just thinking about the Word of God all the time. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses talks about thinking about these things, speaking of these things as you go. So when I refer to that spiritual toolbox, I'm talking about things that you put in your heart and you think about them and you you churn them over in your mind. And, and sometimes you just have quiet and you let those things Uh, let let the Spirit of God use those things in your heart. So we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along this morning. Before we jump into chapter 16, I just want to remind you a passage over in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. If you want to just keep your finger in John 16, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians 13 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians 13 is, of course, the the passage on love, very famous passage. The, The Corinthian church is known... For being a mess, and chapter twelve in First Corinthians is this explanation of the spiritual gifts, and basically the the church in Corinth was doing it wrong. They were preferring gifts that enabled people to um, to, to kind of build themselves up rather than Christ. Uh, they were investing themselves in the public gifts in things like tongues and and, and demonstrations of of other attention-getting things, quick ways to impress people, to draw praise. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Because 2,000 years ago, the church struggled with, with, with focusing on Christ, with professing Christians who used the church as a platform to draw attention to themselves. We still struggle with that today. In both cases, Christ is obscured. So Paul says at the end of chapter 12, I will show you a more excellent way. I will show you a more excellent way than than these things that are just used for self-exaltation. And so in in chapter 13, verse 8, he says, As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So those three things, the three things that the Corinthians were so interested in, they were temporary, but there are three gifts that will not pass away away a more excellent way something that would be worth investing in because these things will remain so paul says in first corinthians thirteen, thirteen. so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love what are the three gifts that will last faith hope and love and love is the greatest and i think that we could divide These last two sermons, so last week and this week, we could say that these sections in this final word from Jesus Christ to his disciples could be divided up into faith, hope, and love. What should we cultivate? Let's just say it like this. What did Jesus want his 11 disciples cultivating? These are the last words that he's going to speak before they die. And what does he want to infuse them with as he goes, faith, hope, and love? So we live in this world in a constant state of dread. People are afraid, people are depressed, people are anxious, people are sad. Like the Corinthians, people are consumed with selfishness and self-glorification. Study after study says we are uh, making ourselves more sad, lonely, and anxious through the Internet. Social media forces discontent. It forces us to look at other people and to see what they have and to be jealous there's a very real possibility of war on the horizon, there are tyrants who hate liberty and they want to destabilize western democracy. And then the technology that we've invented that was supposed to bring us so much freedom is leading us into bondage, because we're tied to our phones, we can't stop streaming, and we always have noise in our ears, and I know that you know about these problems, but. Our addiction to these things, and these things are fleeting, is making us unhappy. That ding, that notification, that text, that breaking news, that endless loop of shows that you can watch over and over again. And I really do think, going back to this idea of, of sustained thought, we've come to like hate being alone with ourselves, we've come to hate being lo- alone with our thoughts, and it's hard, if you know, I know this, I know this personally. It is hard to give 10 or 15 minutes of sustained thought to anything without picking up my cell phone, without looking to see. Even if I turn it off, I want to look to see if something else has come, which brings me back to faith, hope, and love. These things that abide, these things that remain, they transcend the temporary, they transcend the temporary the fleeting. Where does Jesus land the plane at the end of chapter 16? Faith, hope, and love. And so as your pastor this morning, as we close out this section, I want to offer you these three gifts that remain. I want to proclaim to you the words of Christ. I'm going to read these uh, words to you. We're going to start all the way back where we started last week. I'm not going to re-preach the section from last week. I'll, I'll just mention a couple of things. But let me read in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16, and I'm going to read all the way down to the end of the passage. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were asking, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask Him, and so He said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. And will leave me alone yet i am not alone for the father is with me i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart i have overcome the world all right so we're going to take faith hope and love as hope love and faith because that's the way they fall in the passage and last week, just to review, we summarized Jesus' words about hope in verses 16 through 24. Jesus knows your questions. Jesus is coming again. Ask and you shall receive. So he has given us what we need to fight hopelessness. When we come to him with our questions, we find hope answers to avoid confusion. Remember what we said last week. It is, it is terrible to find trouble and then be confused about what Jesus has said. But Jesus has answers. Jesus wants to help us understand. When we come to Jesus with our questions, he has answers to our questions. When we remember his promise, I will see you again, we find meaning in our suffering. He actually says, I love that part of the passage where he says, your sorrow will be turned into joy. And the greatest example of that in the whole universe Is the cross something so horrific, and so painful, and so sad that eventually the Apostle Paul can say, I glory in the cross of Christ. That which was so terrible has become that which is praiseworthy, that is reason for rejoicing. And then finally, when we pray to the Father, we know that we are not helpless, because He wants to grant our request. Brothers and sisters, people are investing a lot of time in things that are meaningless. If you're looking forward to the next episode of Boba Fett, after seven weeks, you've got nothing. Even the best stories in the world, and I'm not sure Boba Fett is one of them, but even Boba Fett... Uh, Even the best stories in the world, I keep saying Boba Fett. Even the best stories in the world, the writer runs out of ideas, the writer dies, he or she gets millions of dollars and says, I'm done with it. Eventually, it stops. It actually feels like we're running out of good stories. And I think part of the problem with that is that we've attributed so many things to meaninglessness. But Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and ascension assures That there is meaning, not just in this life, but in eternity. The promise of his return and his kingdom assures us that our infinite God has things in store for us forever. Like I said last week, death will not have the final word. In fact, bad things will be made beautiful. So Christ brings meaning, and meaning brings hope. That statement, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy, should fill us with anticipation. What is going on right now behind the scenes that we can't see that will cause us to rejoice in our sorrows? I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. Invest your life in that hope that lasts, that hope that remains, because hope remains and so does love. Love remains. In verses 25 through 28, the love that remains gets at that problem of loneliness. People are lonely, and they need to be loved. They need to know that they are loved. They need to know that they are loved by someone who will listen and who will stay There's a clear statement about the Father's love in verse 27, and we'll get there. But Jesus begins in verse 25 by talking about access, direct access to the Father who truly loves his children. He says, I have said these things to you in figure of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will plainly tell you about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. How many of you have made it to? you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have made it to Exodus this year? You know, you started well in Genesis. Genesis, January 1st, January, you know, 1st every year is like Genesis big day. You know, everybody, I'm going to read the Bible, you know, and they they, they head for Genesis. So by now, you've probably made it to Exodus, and uh, you may have already bottomed out, and that's okay jumped back to the New Testament. Um, but about Exodus 25, I always say this, e- Exodus 25, everything's going swimmingly until Exodus 25, and then God starts giving the, 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 the plans for the construction of the tabernacle, and then there's the golden calf, and then he tells about the, the construction of the tabernacle, and you're like, why did I need to hear this twice? And there must be a reason, right? It must be really important. There's a, the scrolls are only so big, and God included it twice, so it's there. One thing I think we can see about the tabernacle and then the temple that followed it is the tabernacle screamed, you can't come in here. That's, that's one of the big lessons of the tabernacle. And the temple was the same. In the Old Testament, they built that tabernacle with the Holy of Holies and those curtains. And then in Exodus chapter 40, the, 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 the glory of God moves in and it dwells on that Ark of the Covenant right above those two angels, the mercy seat. And you can't go in there. Except for the high priest, once a year, who goes in and he takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the Ark of the Covenant on behalf of the people. When Jesus died, one of the most vivid illustrations of access is that the, the, the curtain in the temple ripped in two. And the, the Holy, Holy of Holies was suddenly opened up. And we no longer needed the, the blood of bulls and goats to get in there because now we can come into the presence of God covered by the blood of Christ. No self-respecting Jew in the Old Testament could have imagined that. And they certainly could have never imagined that they would get to refer to God as Father, that they could be on that intimate a basis with God. He was separate. He was holy. That's what all of that stuff surrounding the tabernacle and the temple communicated. And Jesus says, come on in. He says, I no longer say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. What does that mean? Why not? Because the day is coming after his resurrection and the coming of the Spirit that you will go right to God. That's, that's what we enjoy. I would suggest to you, we probably take that for granted. That the people living back then who who were separated from God by that curtain, who could suddenly come into his presence, were much more aware of the blessing of that than we are today. Jesus says, you just come right on in, in my name. There were a couple of times growing up when I went to the Pentagon with my dad, and he had an ID, and he could swipe the ID, or you know, back then I don't think they were swiping, I think he was showing it. And we we got into places that other people couldn't go. And if a guard stopped me when I was in the Pentagon and said, why are you here? I would just say, because I'm with him. He he brought me in here. He he said I could come in here. And I wasn't afraid that I was going to be kicked out. Of all the things that it means to come to the Father in Jesus' name, perhaps that's the simplest way to think of it. How in the world can we enter into the presence of God the Father? If an angel were to ask, Why do you think you can come so boldly into this place? We can simply say, because Jesus says I can. If Satan, the great accuser, says to you, how dare you approach God like that, knowing how sinful you are, we can say, no, Jesus said I could come here. Jesus said I could come into God's presence. And the Bible says, by the way, draw near to God and he will draw near And yes, that is love, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but some of that is just plain faith. It is just plain trusting in what Jesus says rather than the voices that you hear in your head when you try to come to God. But Jesus doesn't just say, come. He says the Father wants you to come. Verse 27 and 28, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. You have access because you are loved by the God of the universe. We will get to the rest of it, but for just a moment, let's just consider that full stop. The Father himself Loves you. In all of our sinfulness, He loves us. In all of our weakness, He loves us. He is not bothered with you. He is not fed up with you. He's not even annoyed with you. As hard as that is to believe, our Father in heaven loves us. Yes. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Yes, the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. I read those passages last week. But you can go ahead and come directly to the Father on your own because He loves you and He wants you to come. And if you're not coming to God because you feel unworthy, you're not listening to Jesus and what He has said. What does Jesus mean here when He says, talks about speaking plainly. He says, until now... I have not spoken plainly. And we know, we've seen it in John, he certainly speaks in parables. He said a lot of strange things about eating flesh and drinking blood. Just as there was that physical veil in the temple, prior to Jesus coming and dying, there was a spiritual veil as well. There were certain things that were just obscure, but the hour was coming when it would be plain. So, so why couldn't things be plain? I kind of wrestled with this a little bit this week. What, is God just like having a good time making riddles? You know, is it just that he's like, I, I want this to be, I want you to have to work at this. And that's not the case. I, this, is what I, this is what I believe based on everything we've seen in John 16. Things just couldn't be clear until the cross. Th- things couldn't make sense entirely until the cross. Nobody saw the cross coming. The cross is the wisdom of God that even the angels long to see. The loneliness of sinful humanity is remedied by the love of God at the cross. Why does Paul say that of faith and hope and love, love is the greatest? Could it be? Because love is why God sent his son in the first place. And without love, there couldn't be faith or hope. All human relationship, apart from Christ, is temporary, transitory, and fleeting. All those likes on Instagram that are gone so fast. All those text threads that go quiet. The world's unrelenting commitment to physical intimacy without love. The love of God remains. And finally, faith remains. Jesus said in verse 27, "...the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed." It is our faith in Christ that opens our eyes to the love of God. So what did they believe? He says that I came from God, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. This is a summary of the incarnation. We could preach this at Christmas sometime. Brothers and sisters, children, teenagers, hear me. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you really believe? Do you believe that the man Jesus of Nazareth came from God, that he is God, very God, in the flesh? Do you believe that he was crucified and buried and that he rose again? Do you believe that he returned to the Father? Do you believe that he is coming again? Don't take that for granted. Those are hard things to believe. They are so hard that it takes a supernatural act of God to work in your heart. But if you do believe those things, then you can know that the Father loves you. I always say, Jesus is much more interested in the presence of faith than the quantity of your faith. Without faith, Hebrews said, is it impossible to please God? On the other hand, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. The most important thing is that we have faith. And so here, the disciples declare their faith. They say uh, in verse 29, Ah, now you are speaking plainly. Now you've stopped using figurative speech. Now we know that all things, uh, that you know all things, and you do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now we get it. This is the, this is the new seminary student who's had like two classes, right? I got it now. I, I can explain everything. I'm convinced, Jesus says in verse 31. Oh, do you now? So you can take this statement in the Greek. uh, You can take it as a statement or a question. And the ESB translates it as a question, and I'm going to take it as a question. Oh, so you believe now. And what they failed to hear is that part of verse 25 where Jesus says, the hour is coming. The hour hasn't come yet. They still don't understand because he hasn't been crucified and he hasn't risen from the dead. At this point, they still haven't listened all the way. They have some faith, they have weak faith, but they certainly don't have total faith. They're like Peter back in chapter 13 when Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Hear this. Faith is essential to our salvation. But let me get, I'm going to give you one more good piece of news. I think this is really good news. Our faith is not in our faith our faith is in christ and like the disciples our faith is often really weak but even when we are faithless he is faithful. so verse 32 "Behold, the hour is coming indeed it has now come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone yet i am not alone for the father is with me don't be triumphant in your faith none of us know how we will respond to various trials. We've seen the heroes of our faith fail repeatedly. These 11 young men, having spent three years with Jesus, will all desert him. Remember that faith is a gift. Praise God, remember that faith is something that we require right now until it becomes sight, and one day our faith will become sight. So we come to Jesus' last words here. So these are, these are his last words to his disciples. These are, this, this last verse, verse 33, I mean, he will have a few more things to say in the scriptures. We're going to see his prayer in John 17. He will say some things to the soldiers and to Judas. He will speak to Pilate. He will say some words on the cross. But these are his final words to his disciples. This is before they shake hands and get up and he goes to pray and they go to sleep. Verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is his last will and testament. I want you to have peace. And this peace is found in me, in Christ. We have seen this throughout chapters 14 through 16. He gives us peace that is not like the world's peace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. Are you seeking the peace like the world gives? Do you know the peace of Christ? This is not to say that your soul will never be troubled, nor will you constantly live in a state of tranquility, but you should know this peace of which Jesus speaks. And you may need to remind yourself, like the the psalmist who says, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your trust in God. Self-talk, if it is good talk, if it is biblical talk, is good He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. The way to heaven is not smooth. And Jesus is clear. If you have not counted the cost, you will discover that this is a hard way. And some do turn back. Young people, the Bible promises that all who commit to live a godly life will be persecuted. And if you doubt that, just turn to the book of Acts and see what happens to these apostles. But take heart. The New King James Version says, be of good cheer cheer up. And this too has been consistent throughout this passage. Again, Jesus' words, not mine. Rejoice. He looked at the sad faces of his disciples sitting around him and he said, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I am. Even in the midst of all this sadness, Jesus says you have reason to rejoice. Why? Because his work is almost finished. The work that is going to bring salvation to mankind. And he started this whole thing out back in 14 verse 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. And then he closes with, I have overcome the world. I hope you've read your whole Bible. I hope you've at least read Revelation, at least when you were a kid, you know, when the preacher got boring. Maybe some of you are reading it right now. I'm going to tell you that I have read the end of the book. And here's the good news. Jesus wins. The previous king of this world has been defeated at the cross. Brothers and sisters, I'll ask you one more time as we conclude this section. Do you want to be comforted by Christ? If so, invest in the things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Is your soul prepared to meet God today? Are you at peace with him? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ so that your sin is covered by his blood shed on the cross? Does his resurrection give you hope that you too will live again? If not, place your faith in him this morning. Do you come daily into the Father's presence? Do you bring to him your hurts, your questions, your requests in Jesus' name? Jesus said, you can come. Do you look forward to his return? Do you hear those words, I will see you again? And does it at some place strike joy in your heart? Can you pray daily? Do you pray daily? Lord, come quickly. Stop investing in temporary things and invest in things that remain. To come back to it, I believe that for many of us, this involves less time listening to dings and bells and more time thinking. Faith, hope, and love remain. They have eternal value. Our participation in this table is also an example of that which remains. It is the polar opposite of the dings and the bells. It was instituted 2,000 years ago, and we do it every week. And we practice in here a time of reflection as Tyler plays. As we receive the cup and the bread, there's a time of reflection there. Turn off your phone, put it away, and think. The bread representing Christ's body which was broken for us. The cup which represents his blood that was poured out. These things are not designed to give us some instantaneous high or some awareness of of somebody who has noticed us, but they are given to us to keep us grounded in reality. And it's a reality that ends in Jesus returning. Just as he says in the passage that we read every week, do this until I come. So let's invest in these things together. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this whole section of scripture. I thank you that you have given it to us. Father, I pray, I ask you that you would give us mercy and grace in this congregation that it would not be long before we look at these things again. Father, I pray that you would bring these things to our heart, the peace, the joy, the love, the faith, and the hope that we have seen in these passages. Father, keep us from focusing on the temporary and help us by your grace to invest in the things that remain. God, we thank you for these things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.